we're simply not building enough property in Australia. I don't know if you, you realise, but there was a release out this week saying that the demand for property uh, over the next few years is going to be so high that we need to build a Canberra every year. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast, where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life to uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time, their skills and their money and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests every minute of every day. We're investing our time, our skills, our energy and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, and sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You'll hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. Thanks for listening, and now let's get invested. Welcome, Freedom Fighters. Who do you turn to for advice? Your family, your friends, maybe your work colleagues. You might look at Google reviews or check out some comparison sites. But are they the best people to give you the advice that you need? Now, you may trust them, which is really important. But do they have the experience and expertise to advise you fully and appropriately? Now, the Greek philosopher Plato was famous for saying that wise men talk because they've got something to say, fools because they have to say something. Now, when I'm looking to make important decisions, I want to make sure that I'm talking to the best informed person that can provide me with independent, objective, transparent advice without any vested interests. Yes, You need to trust the person you're asking. But if you can't find someone with the appropriate expertise that you can trust, then in my humble opinion, you haven't looked hard enough. Now, despite the odds, there are a growing number of quality people available who walk their own talk and are happy to give you that independent, transparent and objective advice that's tailored to your needs. So... I guess I feel that we need to balance your level of current trust, which is often equated with just how well you know someone, with their capability. So let's explore this a bit further. As I've mentioned before, Charles H. Green's groundbreaking book, The Trusted Advisor, outlines that trust is built on the integrated combination of four key criteria, and they are, one, credibility, which is what someone has done and said, two, reliability, which is someone repeatedly doing what they say they're going to do, three, intimacy, which is feeling comfortable emotionally with someone, that intuitive gut feel based on openness and honesty, and lastly, self-interest, the degree of impartial independence versus the level of vested interests. But how do you gauge and measure someone's credibility, reliability, intimacy and degree of independence? Well, 
As I discussed in my first book, The Freedom Formula, you can test out all these areas using the five T's in trust tenants, which are talent, tangibles, trade, tax, and touch. Here's what to look at in each area. Firstly, talent, which is about temperament or character. Ask these questions. Who is the actual person that's giving you the advice? Now, don't worry about the business brand name or the reputation, but who's the actual person that's going to be advising you? And what's their specific relevant experience and expertise? Do they have the time available to advise you appropriately? Then then let's look at tangibles or the level of competence. If we're thinking about property investing, for example, do they invest in property themselves? Do they personally walk their talk? If not, run. Thirdly, trade. This is their calibre and expertise. Are they good at what you need them to do? How do they prove it? How long have they been doing it? How many others have they helped? Is this their actual area of expertise? Now, an accountant may be good at doing a tax return, but if they don't personally invest in property, they'll not not be up to speed with the myriad property nuances associated with the relevant entity structures, tax rulings and treatments. And this could end up costing you tens of thousands of dollars without you even knowing it. Fourthly, tax or the cost to you. Are they good value and how do they get paid? Do they have a vested interest in the outcome of the advice they're giving? And finally, touch, which relates to ties and connection. Do you feel comfortable and like them as a person? It doesn't matter what you do. Success is all about long-term relationships, so this question is often the most important. Does the person feel right? Now, I may know a lot about property strategy, but if you don't like me as a person, don't work with me. Property investment as we know, is a minimum 10 to 15 year journey built on long-term, mutually respectful relationships where you have to enjoy each other's company and have some fun while you're riding the inevitable ups and downs, speed bumps and challenges along the way. So let your gut feel talk louder than your rational thinking on this. If someone doesn't feel right, keep looking. It's why we have a no-wanker policy in our know-how business. We don't have wankers in our team, and we won't work with wankers. And we expect our clients to use exactly the same approach. If they think we're wankers, then we encourage them not to work with us. I encourage you to do the same thing. So I suggest that you use these test trust tenants and the questions associated when you're looking to get good advice on something important. And while we're on the topic of property investment, Over the years, I've found that everyone in Australia is an absolute expert on property. It doesn't matter whether you're at the pub, at a barbie on the weekend, at the hairdressers or at work, someone's always happy to share their opinion and give you their advice. The funniest thing about all this, though, is that those with the strongest opinions and who talk the loudest and strongest about property investment often don't own any, or not for long. As a wise person once said, talk is cheap because it's the only thing broke people can afford. This has led me to the creation of what I call the law of inverse investment, which I'm pretty sure I've shared with you before, and it goes a bit like this. The louder and the stronger a person's opinion on property, 
the less likely it is that they're going to own any. The legitimacy litmus test, I'm tangling my tongue here, on investment for me has always been about what you've actually done, not how much you talk about it. So unless your family and friends are active investors, don't ask them. Even Jesus' early friends didn't believe he was the Messiah. You need to seek out other like-minded, successful investors who have done what you're looking to do and learn from them. If there's one person in the country that best fits the bill for independent, objective and quality advice around property and advice that you can actually trust, it's today's guest, Kevin Turner. Kevin's a regular here on Get Invested for the very reason that his humble insights are always worth listening to. And he's just a cracking bloke. He's always generous with his time. If you want to learn more about Kevin, have a listen to the in-depth chat I enjoyed with him here on Episode 7 of the Get Invested. Now, as the host of the most popular property shows and podcasts in the country, including Real Estate Talk, RE Uncut and Property TV, Kevin gets to see and hear from everyone in the industry. And as an active property investor himself, his broad spectrum of exposure at the crossroads of all things property and finance means that his thoughts are always well-informed and as an industry facilitator, he's got no barrow to push. So if you're looking for current educated advice on what's likely to happen in property in Australia this year and what you should be doing about it, then enjoy this great chat with Kevin's annual outlook on the influence and the impacts. Hi, Freedom Fighters. Well, today we're talking to a regular on Get Invested, and he's a man who's at the intersection of absolutely everyone in property in Australia. He's the chair of Switch Media. Uh, he's the host of Real Estate Talk, Real Estate Uncut, Property TV, and a score of other content outlets. So before we get into talking about what's in store for property in 2020, Kevin, welcome aboard, and can you give us a bit of an update on what's happening in your world, mate? Yeah, delighted, Bushy, and it's always great to talk to you, mate. It's not very often I get the chance to do this. Normally, I'm at the other end <laughs> asking the question, so it's really nice to be able to have to think about uh, a little bit more about you know my views on property. But just briefly to answer that question, um, yeah, our company's really grown up a lot in the last couple of years. I've been doing podcasting now for about 15 years, and uh, you mentioned a couple of the anchor shows there, Real Estate Talk for Consumers and Real Estate Uncut. Mm. They're two of the longest-running podcasts in Australia, and um, yeah. now proud to say that you know we've got a, a fairly large international audience as well. So we're creating content through Switch Media and Property TV for uh, the American market. Fifty uh, percent of our audience in that particular uh, vein are now coming out of the states. So um, it's uh, the the thing that fascinates me about property is that you know it's it, I was actually talking sorry to cut across myself there, but. <laughs> Um, here am I apologising to me, but I was talk talking to someone in America only a couple of hours ago and he, they can't get over the fascination that Australians have for property, mm. you know, and, and we were talking about being at a barbecue and telling someone you're in real estate and the first thing they do is say, what's the market like and how much does the house down the road sell for? Mm. But, you know, the appetite in the States and the UK for the property market or information about it is really ripe right now. Perfect. And they're very much turning to commentators out of Australia because we're very mature in uh, in our approach to commentary. 
uh, how we look at property and how we look at property investment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's nice to get those compliments back from the states where they say, well, we really see you guys as somewhat of the leaders in uh, disseminating uh, property information. So that's 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 really heartening to hear. Um, yeah, well done. So, that, so that's what we've done with the company. It's uh, it's called Switch Media, and we've got those three major assets inside that. Property TV is the main one, of course, yeah. uh, and that's going to be the repository for all of our content going forward, right. uh, and that will be somewhat international, so we'll break it down so you can see Australian content, New Zealand content, American, UK, and so on. So Brilliant. Brilliant. that's the ambition there, Bushy. No, well, look, I, I mean, as I've uh, said on a number of occasions, I've been a big fan of... Uh, Real estate talk for many years now. I, I get to hear and uh, obtain insights from pretty much everyone in the industry, which is which is pretty rare. And, uh, and I totally agree with you, mate. Around um, the states, I'm a uh, property owner in the states, and having seen the quality of professionals in each, uh, Australia is uh, streets ahead. And uh, I'm not surprised to hear that in the media space around property, they're also seeing you as a, a shining light compared to uh, the, the maturity of what they're doing over there, mate. So that's that's really good news and uh, would really encourage listeners to tap into both Real Estate Talk and to Property TV. There's some a really diverse range of um, uh, information covered there from uh, head to toe. So uh, keep an eye out for that. But, mate, uh, Thanks, you you really are – I often refer to you as the trusted voice and the father confessor of the country's best property and finance experts in the country, mate. And there's really no one in the industry that's exposed to such a diverse range of uh, uh, experts and commentary around that. So very interested to dig into what you're picking up about what's likely to happen in property in Australia this year, mate. Well, I'm not going to come out with any, um, you know, major crystal ball predictions here. But the thing I, I would say about it is that I don't really see a lot changing. Um, I think, you know, for investors in the property market, they just really need to stick to the fundamentals. And I think we've got to bear in mind that, you know, not all property is the same. Well, she and you and I talked about this off air about, you know, yeah. making recommendations about particular areas. I think it's up to the individual. Uh, they, they, um, you know, they need to make up their own mind about the type of investment they want, the type of investor they are. Yeah. But the thing that uh, fascinates me about property is that we all need to live somewhere. Uh, and th- the other interesting point is that we're simply not building enough property in Australia. I don't know if you, you realise, but there was a release out this week saying that the demand for property uh, over the next few years is going to be so high that we need to build a Canberra every year and yeah. probably a Darwin every quarter. So, I mean, that's that, and we're not we're not building that amount of stock right now. So that's a good sign for the building industry, yeah. but particularly good for property and property investors because, as I said, we've all got to live somewhere. Spot on. It's it's you know the old parameters of supply and demand are very key, and I was, I was looking at some data. Just uh, recently, myself, Kevin, that suggested, given the downturn that's occurred, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, or I, I call it a correction. It's not a downturn. It's it's what you'd expect to see in the market over the long term, but it means that the the building approvals are down. And I heard I've heard numbers uh, quoted that we're a couple of hundred thousand down on what 
what we need just to cover the current demand, yet alone any ongoing population growth that comes into those. So, yeah, I I 100% agree, mate. Um, A a Canberra every year, that's a pretty significant number of properties that uh, need... Yeah, well, that's that's what the demand's calling for, mate. So it is quite staggering. Yeah, that's brilliant, mate. Uh, I mean, it's such a twelve months is a long time in property, and uh, you and I were talking about this time last year about the gloom and doom uh, that we were facing with the federal election, and uh, you know what mm. was happening with the royal commission and everything else. Uh, we've come out of that pretty well unscathed, actually, and uh, certainly looking much more positive uh, at this time of this cycle than we were. Then. <coughs> Uh, are there any key influences you think that uh, are likely to impact on property uh, over the next 12 months, mate, that you'd like to talk yeah, about? Yeah, mate, I, I do. I, look, I think one of the things is um, it's going to all be about consumer confidence. The thing we find is that if, if, if there is good consumer confidence, people are encouraged, employment's good, uh, and that's another one of the factors. Uh, I, I think you know, we could be in for a good time in 2020. A lot's going to hinge on the banks, not so much the, um, not so much APRA, and we may get a chance to talk about that later. But I do think it's the banks. I mean, we've uh, we can just have a look at what's happened when they tightened all the regulations around investment. Uh, you know, people get very nervous, um, and if the banks tighten up on lending, uh, and really, let's face it, without you know, without borrowing, uh, many investors can't advance or build their portfolios. So I think a lot's going to come down to the banks. Uh, the building industry, uh, and we've already touched on that, I think the building industry here needs to be strong. We need to have a strong banking industry. We need to have a very strong building industry and a very healthy one. Uh, yeah. So I, I think they're the factors that we need to keep uh, keep an eye on to work out uh, what pra- what's going to happen with property. And look, you know, we might talk about um, in international influences on our market, but I do think that the Australian market is somewhat exceptional in the fact that it can remain a bit isolated from some of those, uh, you know, international uh, – I'm talking here about the states. I might yeah. get a chance to talk about that. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I still think the property market uh, in Australia is, is almost hybrid. You know, it's it, – it, it's an industry on its own and it's very, very healthy and I think it's kept healthy by the fact that we've got a very healthy banking industry and a very healthy building industry. So, you know, long may they both continue. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you're spot on. I've, I've said for many years that property is a game of finance and if you can't get your hands on the money, then uh, it's very difficult to shift things. Uh, something that's I, I'm observing of interest Actually, Kevin, I'd like your thoughts on this uh, because we've seen the Reserve Bank uh, make a couple of uh, rate cuts already and there's talk about potentially one or maybe two further going through, but it's not having a major influence on uh, demand and we've got a a broking business as part of our exercise and while there's been a lot of talk about uh, the banks uh, reducing their servicing buffers, what we're seeing them is tighten up on other criteria like living expenses and uh, debt to income ratios so that's sort of one step forward and two steps back and we're still seeing it very difficult for a lot of would-be property purchasers to get their hands on the money what's your thoughts around that as it moves forward mate yeah i think we've got too much focus on apra on uh, sorry on the uh, rba and in terms of what they do with cash movements i mean they look at the the, the macro 
economy, not the micro. And, uh, you know, we, I think we should be more focused on what the banks are doing. And I've already hinted at the fact that I think what the banks have done recently really put the dampeners uh, on the market. So I, I think that's the thing that, that we really have to watch. Um, you know, it's whether or not the, the banks will pass on um, any any rate cuts um, uh, in in, ter- in terms of you know toughening up on on lending, I think that you know that does obviously, and I think we've hinted at that fact that that has a big impact on people. So mm. yeah, absolutely. I I guess the the interesting thing for me to see if if history is any indicator, uh, when we saw uh, prices rocketing in New South Wales and Victoria a couple of years ago, and we saw APRA step in and really put some pressure on the banks to uh, tighten up across the board, particularly villainising investors at, at that time. I guess the, there is some risk that if uh, those markets continue the sort of growth that we've uh, seen already, and given that a lot of the decision makers in, in property and government and the banks all live in Sydney, there, there's some potential for APRA to come back in uh, if they think things are getting too hot. Uh, what's, what's your view around that, mate? Yeah, look, I, 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 I believe this is what's going to happen. I think with open banking, um, that's going to – it's certainly going to make the banks a lot more nervous. And one of the things that um, has given us a very strong banking industry is the fact that the profit levels have been very, very high and they've been able to maintain those because, you know, we have a relationship with the bank manager and despite the fact that, you know, we talk about – constantly reviewing the interest rate we're paying and moving around. People generally, by and large, don't do that. Mm. Um, but I do think that the with the influence of open banking, which has only really just um, become mandatory this month, yes. uh, I think we're going to see uh, the banks in a lot more vulnerable uh, positions where they're going to have to be a lot more competitive. So I, I think the banking industry, you know, there may be a, a level of uh, profit adjustment for the banks, but I think for the consumer, it's going to be a very good thing with that sharing of information. Maybe we might get a chance to talk about that later, but I think that's more of an indicator. Bushy? Yeah, absolutely. And it certainly opens the, the, uh, the door for a, a lot more fintech type um, micro lenders and the uh, ongoing growth in the sort of prop tech uh, area. What, what are you seeing in that, that field, given uh, your discussions elsewhere, that you think um, might be influencing on property? Yeah, when it comes to prop tech and fintech, I think we're already seeing it have a really big impact. Um, you know, it's been, it's been happening for years. You've only got to look at... Uh, at how uh, prop tech or tech in particular is starting to um, not so much invade our lives but live with us. Uh, Just look at how we've adopted things like Siri, Alexa, Google. It's very much a part of our life. And I was reading uh, an article the other day about what Google is doing uh, with their AI and it's quite staggering um, because now when you you talk to uh, a robot – they sound very human. In fact, they can actually now carry on a very intelligent conversation with you to the point where um, you'll be able to say, um, hey, Google, tell me, um, you know, my interest rate. Can I get a better interest rate? And, and you know, th- this may seem frightening, but they're going to have access to your bank account, um, to your living expenses. They can do the assessment for you. They can put you in touch with the best broker, the best agent, whatever it is you like. And, and then they can uh, make all those appointments in your diary. So it's very much that AI is pretty much going to control exactly, uh, well, a lot more of what we do. 
Mm. So I, I think it's going to have a really big influence on on how we work as individuals and how we uh, and how we live. Yeah, I, I heard a, a figure quoted recently, Kevin, that uh, in ten years' time, as a consequence of the technology and and AI, uh, about forty seven percent of current jobs won't exist. Uh, and of course, when it, whenever that sort of change comes through, there's new types of jobs that are created. But uh, and that was more focused on the states than it was on Australia. But uh, I think we're in for a, a very interesting time, and I think people need to be open, flexible, and uh, embracing the sort of change so they can get ahead of that opportunity. What's What's your thoughts around yeah. that? Yeah, like uh, Bushy, you know, I've been around a long time, mate, and I've heard statements like, you know, with this technology. I remember when computers came in, they they were saying that. You know, there's, there's not going to be, you, you, well, there'll be a massive loss of jobs. It simply didn't happen. Mm. Uh, but technology it just gives us an opportunity to do better things better. Uh, and, you know, we get more free time. We get more quality time. There's no doubt that we need more quality time with our family. And that's what tech gives us. It gives us more free time. It doesn't mean to say that there's going to be less people in, in employment. They'll be doing other things. Yeah. Uh, you, you've only got to look at, how many people are now employed in, in prop tech? How many people are actually in startup businesses? Um, I, I read only this morning that something like um, there was 67% of all new startups in the last 12 months were, were run by women. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, that's just fantastic. There's so it's many crazy. more opportunities that are opening up for us. So, you know, I, I get really excited about uh, prop tech um, and, you know, what what's happening in that area. I, I think it's fantastic because we're right in it with yes. um, with property TV because we're, you know, we're right there in the OTT network and, and we're seeing all this stuff happen and it's just happening at lightning speed, Bushy. Yeah, I think the degree of change that we've uh, been experiencing is only the tip of the iceberg and, and I'm like you, I get excited about that because whenever there's rapid change, there's also rapid opportunity. So for those that embrace it and rather than stick their head in the sand, I think we're in for a yeah, very interesting decade ahead as mm. far as that goes. Mate, um, something that, that does tend to influence the, the Barbie chats that uh, people talk about property, uh, and I, I, you must find this particularly frustrating because as a, as a lone voice talking with some educated uh, opinions and, and commentary around property, the mainstream media does still tend to have a big sway on on market sentiment and confidence and they tend to operate on either greed or fear. Uh, what, what's your feeling on uh, where the mainstream media is likely to influence uh, thinking around property over the next 12 months or so? Yeah, that's a changing landscape, mate. I think the, the mainstream media will, will have an influence, but it's largely coming from, um, it, it's a very, um, dramatic, um, headline that they're always looking for some sort of a, a grab. But you know, Bushy, I think the interesting thing here is the rise in importance in podcasting, like, you know, what you're doing, what I've been doing for, you know, quite a while. Uh, I can see the development of what, you know, what I call tribes. And I know that's not a new, new mm. description, but I think it's becoming very, very apt. And I think people are becoming uh, a lot smarter. We've heard a lot about uh, fake news and, and, and there is a lot of it around. There's a lot of, and it's not fake as in a malicious sense. It's fake as in an un, uneducated sense. And I think yes. everyone has an opinion on where property's going and, you know, what are the hot spots and so on, which is something that 
I try not to get involved in because yeah. I, I try to take more of an overview, somewhat of an anecdotal approach to any commentary about it because at the end of the day, it's up to the individual. Yeah. So I, all I'd say about mainstream media, and I'm very much a part of it because I do a weekly talkback show on property. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, um, I, I try and take a balanced view, and that's why I don't like doing a lot of commentary myself. Mm. I'd much rather be the disseminator of information. So I think the influence of mainstream media is going to become less and less dominant, uh, and we'll see more people are gravitating to podcasts like yours because they like what you say. Uh, in some ways, a bit like uh, politicians, you know, you, you, you gravitate to, to one party or another. Yeah. So I, I think uh, mainstream media, and you've only got to look at what they're doing now, the top-rating podcasts are basically um, radio shows that are now being podcast. Yes. It's, it, it, the, the whole scene is changing, Bushy. Yeah, no, it's the influence. No, one hundred percent. I think the desperation I see in the mainstream media, and therefore being forced to use greed or fear to actually try and maintain some relevance, is probably a a bit of an indicator that uh, people's attention is now starting to focus on those specialty outlets like yours with real estate talk and property TV, and will increasingly do so as as people search out people that they know, trust, and like. So uh, exciting times there. No, that's great. Mate, uh, we have been influenced by a couple of environmental uh, issues in recent times and I recently heard Scott Morrison say that as a result of the bushfires that most a big part of the eastern states and, and to a lesser degree South Australia have suffered in recent times that natural disasters are going to be the new normal. Uh, what, if anything, do you think uh, those sorts of disasters are going to uh, impact on, on property, both short-term and longer-term? Yeah, I think there will definitely be an impact, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad one. I think we need to adjust to um, the fact that, you know, we live in a country that um, has natural disasters. We've been getting cyclones in North Queensland for quite some time, and that community up there have had to put up with super high insurance premiums because of that. Mm. And I think this is where we're going to see uh, the fallout from the bushfires in, in a couple of areas. I think the red zones, the insurance red zones, are something that you'll want to watch fairly carefully because they could become a lot more widespread uh, and that's going to have an impact on residents who choose to live in bushfire-prone areas. So I think the building industry is already starting to respond you know, looking at building houses and really managing safety where people want to live. Um, and I think a lot of it's got to come down to local and uh, and state governments too. It's, uh, it, it, it's almost criminal, the fact that there's been very little backburning happening. You know, this was a disaster that was just waiting to happen and it happened. Yeah. Uh, and now, you know, we're seeing uh, a lot more talk about backburning about different building regulations to make sure that if you're building into a fire uh, risk zone that uh, your building's going to be able to, to to cope with it. I mean, you've only got to look at some of the programs uh, on television in some of the overseas countries. They're much more advanced about uh, building in these areas that, you know, where they're protected by fire barriers and so on. So I, I think there's a big learning experience for us. It's not going to stop people from living in these areas, but they hopefully will will learn a lot of good lessons from this and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Interestingly enough, if I sort of, again, I like to look at history to see what might happen in the future. And with the, uh, the floods that happened close to home for you in and around uh, Brisbane, 
a few years back. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, while there was a, a, an immediate uh, downturn in in property values and in those locations, fairly quickly they've actually turned around and the, the growth in some of those zones has been stronger mm. than others. Mm. And uh, it's because of the new focus and the renewal that tends to happen as a, as a consequence of those things. Uh, do you think the same thing's likely to happen in some of those bushfire-affected areas, Kevin? Yes, I can, and I can speak from experience because um, I was in radio in 1974 when the floods hit, the big floods hit Brisbane, yeah. uh, and it was shortly after that that I went into real estate, and I remember it would have been for about 12 years people were still wanting to know, was this property affected in the 74 floods? But, you know, over a period of time when they had some good flood mitigation systems in place, confidence built up, and it was no longer an issue for people. Uh, so I, I think these things they they will have a lifespan. They'll have there'll be great concern about this, um, particularly in those areas I mentioned earlier about the red zones. Mm. But but it it will fade and we'll learn to live with it and we'll move on and we'll make improvements. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, one of the other things that's obviously pretty topical at the moment is the the looming uh, coronavirus. And I've heard a mm. number of industry commentators that you know the likes of Alan Kohler and others talking about the potential impact it might have on equity markets, uh, given that you know, it has some real concerns on, in that school. Do you think it's likely to have any flow-on effect uh, in property? In Long way down the track, I think, because I think the, the most impact is going to happen with tourism, yeah. uh, and, and that, of course, then will have a flow-on effect to employment, uh, which will then you know, lead on to consumer confidence. But, mate, I, I have strong faith in the fact that there's stories out even uh, in the last 24 hours about um, how they're, 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 they're battling with it. And I think we've got infrastructure worldwide that will, you know, will really take care of this. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sticking my head in the sand and saying it's going to go away and I'm not worried about it because I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, I don't know whether I should mention this, but... The, yeah, well, no, I won't. It, 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 but, you know, people are concerned and I think sometimes they become a little bit paranoid uh, about this. So I, I think the impact is likely going to be, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with tourism and people being concerned about uh, certain ethnic groups and, you know, mixing with them. And I, I think that's irrational. I think, you know, we need yeah. to just be very careful that we don't get, uh, you know, too concerned because it's, you know, while it's it's quite, um, virulent, it's, uh, it, it can be and will be controlled. Yeah, well, I, I can talk firsthand here. Well, I've just come back from Japan and uh, my good wife and I actually caught some sort of flu uh, just before we jumped on a plane. And what I loved about and, and here's a big plug for Qantas, uh, we flew back Qantas and uh, my wife was struggling a little bit and given their concerns around corona, they isolated us, they, they gave us masks, they were taking our temperature, they were ringing the chief medical officer back in Melbourne to see whether mm. we needed to be quarantined. And I, I was a big tick for me because uh, right down at that hostess level, we've got people who are addressing those things in a way that can prevent its, its yeah. spread. So I, I'm with you. I think we're in a position mm. now where our awareness of health and the... Our responses to that are uh, broad and, and rapid and can be contained. So uh, I have full confidence that while there's a lot of media noise about it at the moment, that uh, it, it's not going to have the sorts of impacts that uh, people might like to scare us with. Yeah, well said, mate. How's your wife's cold? 
Yeah, pretty good now, mate. Yeah, back on terra firma here, and uh, <laughs> she's in good form. Thanks, mate. But uh, anything else that you think is likely to uh, have an impact on property over the next twelve months or so that we haven't discussed? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot of it's going to be between our ears. You know, I think um, one of the greatest risks uh, is that is is fear. And I, I heard someone talk about fear the other day. Uh, and it wasn't so much a fear of failure, although they called it, it probably is, but they called it a fear of success. And I think uh, it, it, it was a sports-related story, and it was about how some sports people, you've heard the term, you know, they've, they've left nothing on the court. There's nothing that they're going to, sorry, they've left everything on the court. There's nothing they're going to take off the court. Every bit of effort went into winning this match, whether they win, lose or draw. Uh, but I think with a lot of us, when it comes to uh, our investment, we, sometimes we don't give it enough. Like if you're going to be committed to investing, give it 110%, give it everything you've got. And I think the description was that we tend to hold back because we're afraid if we put everything into it, and then fail, what are people going to think? Well, bugger them. Who cares what they think? You know, you've got to give it 110% and you've got to just go for it and, uh, you know, not, not be concerned about what other people think. Because if, if you think it's worthwhile, it's worthwhile getting 110% of your effort. Yeah. So that's, that's the message that, uh, that, that I'd, I'd like to, to leave. Yeah, that, that's a brilliant one, mate. I, I, absolutely right. Uh, the, the biggest limitation on uh, most of us is ourselves and the person that's looking at us in the mirror. And right. Uh, you're right. I think uh, if, if we're confident around the way something's going to go, well, let's, let's give it a fair crack. Let's not, not do half a job. Uh, let, let's right. put our body and soul into it and then let time, the talent and uh, uh, capital growth do its work. No, 100%, mate. Mate, if we, we sort of do a, a very brief around the grounds look uh, state to state, uh, sure. Are you able just to share with us your thoughts around what what you are likely to see happening uh, this year? Yeah, well, I can give you a state by state, but how, how about I just give you a one or two word um, summary on on how I f- feel about that particular area? Because a, a lot of it is, uh, you know, a lot of it's regional, so you yeah. could go into a lot of depth, which one I don't like to do. Yeah. But I'll just give you a bit of an overview anyway. Queensland, I think, fairly steady. One of the good things about the Queensland market is that. Um, you know, for decades now, it's been, you know, reasonably steady growth. They have some peaks and troughs, but nothing like what you see in Sydney and, well, particularly Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. So I think steady as she goes in Queensland. New South Wales, I think, um, you know, while it's going to be a bit patchy, I still think it's going to continue to be a strong market. Uh, you know, good returns there. And I think there are some good buying opportunities, particularly in the, uh, in the metropolitan area and some of the regional areas as well. Yeah. Uh, Victoria, good. And strong. I don't think it's. Um, I, I think it's probably a better market uh, in 2020 than Sydney's going to be. I still think there are some excellent investment opportunities in Victoria, yeah. South Australia. I think is going to be one of the one one of the saviours for us this year. I think at the end of the year we're going to say, "Wow, that South Australian market is a bit like what we've been saying about Tasmania for you know a couple of years now. It seems like a couple of years, but I think the good there are some good times ahead for South Australia. Yeah, uh, WA continue to be a bit difficult unfortunately yeah you know i talk to a lot of agents in that market and you know they'll they'll have a a good period that'll go for about a week and then they'll 
you know, they'll have a bad patch that goes for another three weeks. So I, I still think that we've got a fair way to go in the WA market. Um, you know, while there are some good opportunities there, I, I still see there's a bit of downward pressure coming. Northern Territory is going to be a real big struggle for some time to come, I think. Yeah. Uh, not looking good. ACT, gee, there are some really good green shoots coming out of the ACT, a lot of enthusiasm. Mm. And I think if, uh, you know, if the federal government can improve its current ranking and, you know, start to perform. They've had a few major setbacks of recent times, but I think that market, the Canberra market, is very much, uh, very much revolves around what happens in politics, obviously, because yeah. that's where it all, all happens. But, yeah. you know, that uh, ACT market is really showing uh, good signs. And I think there's even more growth in Tasmania, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, in different areas, I, yeah. I mean, Hobart's probably yeah, I do, mate. Uh, I, yeah. further north. I, I, do, I do. It's it's one of those um, unique markets. Like they're, they're not big markets, Hobart, Hobart and Launceston. They're not, they're not massive markets. Yeah. Um, they're more like a, a, a grown-up regional market. And I think there's good demand for housing down there, good quality housing, and it's still very, very affordable, and the returns are quite good. So I, I don't see it being as robust as it's been the last couple of years, but I certainly don't share that the view that many people have put out that, you know, be careful of the Hobart market, it's going to crash. So, mm. you know, I wouldn't be rushing in there and investing a whole lot of dollars, but it's certainly a market that I wouldn't ignore. Yeah, no, it comes back to that supply-demand equation again, and it's a, it, it's a beautiful city. I spend a fair bit of time down there because we just love Tasmania, and uh, it's just a great place to spend some time. So from a lifestyle perspective, that alone, I think, will sort of maintain its, its level. Yeah, mate, I, I remember, um, you know, I've been doing this for quite a few years and I remember when I first started, um, I was terribly afraid about the oversupply of units in the Brisbane market and how that the, you know, that that was going to lead to a, a major drop in prices. Well, 15 years later, I'm still waiting for it. So, you know, I think I think we can get awfully carried away with, with some, some commentary. But uh, anyway. Yeah, 100% agree. And, and I mean, we, we talk about uh, these areas as if they were markets, but I, I've always said right. that there is no such thing as a market. It comes down to an individual property, which is different from yep. everyone in that street. It all comes down to the appeal of uh, that property at that time. So, But it, it's it good to give a flavour for and an educated flavour, given that your exposure to uh, everyone in the industry. Uh, there's a there's a, a good degree of qualification in, in what you've mentioned there, mate, so I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts on that. Mate, one thing we haven't touched on, uh, the first-time buyer scheme uh, came into play officially at the beginning of January, uh, and that's obviously going to assist the first-home buyers, and, and often it, it sort of brings forward demand for that sort of uh, lower-end exercise. What's what's your feeling on uh, the impact that that's going to have on, on property in the short to medium term? So is that first-home buyers you're talking about? Yeah, the first-home buyers scheme that yeah. uh, officially came into play as of uh, 1st of January. Yep. But I think anything we can do to help first-home buyers get into the market is is a good thing. Um, you know, I think uh, we, we probably need to be um, mindful of the fact that we can use it very intelligently, and that is to help, the, you know, the building industry by looking at investment in new houses. But then that always comes down to, you know, where do we build them? How do we build the infrastructure around them? So it, it's a bit of a delicate balance, and um, I think first-home buyers' grants have got a cover two spans that is new homes but also existing homes yeah. because in some of the regional areas um 
you know, it's it's almost criminal to be building new homes when there are so many existing homes still on the market that, you know, could be quite easily taken up by first home buyers and will be a, a really good home. So, it, it look, mate, it's very much a balancing act. Yeah. Um, but I think we also need to realise too that first home buyers are not the, the main part of the market. The main part of the market is definitely with investors uh, and first home buyers, uh, sorry, um, and existing buyers or yeah. upgraders or downgraders. Yeah. So, you know, putting it in perspective, I, I think anything we can do to help them get into the market is great, yeah. but it shouldn't be the main focus of what we do. No, you're right. I mean, first home buyers normally represent about 10% of the yep. market, so they're not, right. not going to hold sway either way. But as you say, if, it, if it's at least made it easier for them and improve the affordability to jump that deposit hurdle to get into Yeah, but they have story. a whole... Yeah, but they have a whole um, focus on home buyers as being, you know, first homeowners grants as being the answer to mm. getting more people into property and, and rectifying prices is not right. I think no. we just need to keep it in perspective. Yeah, well said. Very well said. You've got to have a, a, a much bigger uh, number of affected parties as a percentage of the, the market to have a have an influence. Yeah, and mate, yeah. You, you know, there's one other thing too, and I think that we, we get terribly focused on thinking that everyone wants to own a home. They don't. Mm. You know, quite often there are people who simply want to rent a place, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, there are there are countries in the world where the majority of people don't own property. In, in fact, it's mm. owned by the state or, the, or you know, the, the government. So... You know, we shouldn't get so fixated on the fact that everyone wants to have a home, so therefore it has to be affordable for everyone. That's not right. One hundred percent. Well, I, I can I can tell tell you firsthand, Kevin. Uh, my good wife and I, when we got together, uh, well over twenty years ago, uh, we rent vested for many years yeah. before rent vesting. It wasn't called rent vesting then. We just we just knew that if we rented close to the city, which was close to our work, and we invested in properties in that were affordable to us elsewhere, we were much better off. And it's, it actually put us in a very strong position as a consequence of that. And we, we were more than happy to rent because we had a nice little place close, close to where we worked. Yeah. In fact, I'm, I'm doing a, a segment on that on the, on the radio show this weekend uh, on rent vesting um, because I think, you know, when you said it wasn't called that then, doesn't matter what it's called, it's it's the fact that you were smart enough to do it at the time. And I think we're seeing a lot of people doing that right now is looking for ways to get into the market without necessarily relying on a first homeowner's grant. Yeah. That's that's not the answer. Not you know, awesome. sometimes you just gotta get off your butt and do it yourself. 100%. And you know, you've got to um, live where you want to live, that's fine, no problems, but invest where you should. Yeah, that's it. I, I often talk about the difference between access and ownership. So we we decided that we would access a place that we liked living in and were happy to rent because yes. it gave us we were close to the city and close to work and close to everything that happened. Uh, but then the things that were owned were about uh, creating wealth and gener- generating income, and we actually separated those two things in our head. And once we did that, we were more than happy to rent for years while we uh, stuck our hard earned into into building a property portfolio. That's it. So, uh, yeah, very good food for thought there, mate. Um, mate, uh, if we sort of bring that to a head then in relation to uh, everything we've talked about and we look at uh, what property owners uh, or players in the game should think about, whether they be home buyers, investors or, or vendors and sellers, what, what would your sort of summary advice be to each of those uh, in the short to medium term? Yeah, well, um, when it comes to home buying, I think, you know, one of the big messages from me is just to get going you know research 
But when you find what it is you want, make sure you negotiate hard because I think this is a good market where you can negotiate hard. Um, It's, you know, I I think in different markets, it's a buyer's market. In other markets, it's a seller's market. And you'll determine that by the amount of stock and how well the stock is turning over. So for home buyers, you know, buy with confidence and and negotiate hard, I would think. Property investors, well, mate, unfortunately, we need more of them because we need to build all these houses. Not everyone's going to buy them uh, to live in. So, you know, we need more investors to have a bit of courage and not necessarily hold back but just get in because I think there are some tremendous opportunities. For sellers and, uh, you know, sellers of property, uh, I, I think make sure you're using technology uh, we just had a recent experience. Well, it's actually very current, Bushy. We're just selling one of our investment properties. And okay. uh, we we went through uh, an exercise with the agent, got the agent in. Even though I'm in real estate, I think sometimes you've got to take your hat off and become a seller. Yeah. And um, and to do that, you've got to admit the fact that you don't, you don't know everything and someone can <laughs> teach you something about something you think you know everything about. But, you know, we had this agent and we chose a really good agent. She's fantastic. And she yeah. came in and I said, right, give it to me, warts and all, tell me exactly what's going on. And she did. She was fantastic. So we've we've been in, we've repainted, put a, a new carpet in. But the thing that she encourages to do, and we've done this on the last two houses, and I don't see enough of it happening, and that is that we went and did some staging. Brilliant. It didn't cost us a lot of money. It cost us probably three or 4000 bucks. Yeah. But I tell you what, after we had it painted, we put the carpet in, then the staging went in. I went, went in with Carolyn, and I said, Hey, you know, I could live here. This is this is a really nice house. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I rang the agent. I'm almost tempted to say we're not going to sell it, but we will. You know, but um, but I, you know, I think <laughs> use technology, use the resources of the things that are around you. Um, and and the other message too, mate, is that um, with media nowadays, think twice about using press. Um, you know, yeah. and do, do not overspend on the internet. There are some. I don't know if you realise this, Bushy, but Australia is the most expensive market in the world, expensive country in the world, to actually advertise a property on the internet. I don't is know if you knew fact? that. No, I didn't but know But it's that. a fact. Um, in fact, the Americans, when we tell them how much it costs to market a property here on one of the major portals, and there are only two major portals really, yeah. uh, that they are staggered. They cannot get over it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're just spending too much money uh, unnecessarily when we could be dealing like the agent we're dealing with. Yep, we're going to be on the, on both portals, but we're not going to pay for premium listings. We're not going to pay to get up at the top of the the page because, by and large, good agents will know roughly where the buyers come from. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they do the same stuff we used to do years ago. They do open homes. They do uh, a bit of local marketing. They know where the buyers are going to come from, yeah. mate. And, um, yeah. You know, so we're not we're not spending a huge amount of money on marketing, yeah. uh, and we've done that with our last couple of properties, and we've picked up premium prices. So, yeah. that that'd be my message to home sellers. Well, I think it's a very good message, and and the uh, picking up on your point on staging, we've I've, I've done the same thing myself in a property, yeah, not not too long ago, and it made a massive difference. Uh, the other thing that I think uh, it probably is worth uh, spending a little bit on though, uh, and it doesn't doesn't cost much. Is video walkthroughs and drone oh yeah uh, absolutely flyovers I mean the static Th- that's photos. actually what I meant yeah, yeah that's uh, what I meant when I said tech sorry I should have qualified sorry, yeah, that gotcha yeah no 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 that's right yeah I mean it's all available and it's it's not very expensive to get a video done uh, on your property there's a couple of websites to be happy to tell anyone about if they want yeah but you can you can get videos done for your next to nothing like I'm only talking about 
50, 60 bucks, yeah. and they're really good videos. Yeah. But you've got to get good photography. You know, invest in photography. Uh, that's the answer. Yeah, well, the, the the property search starts on your mobile these days, and I, I, I yep. remember years ago I would spend hours with a highlighter and the paper on a Saturday morning jumping mm. in the car mm. doing drive-bys. These days I've got alerts that just smack me in the face every, one, every time the right one comes up. So if you haven't, if your property doesn't look uh, as good as it can be, right there in front of them through video and the, and the yeah. uh, really quality uh, for photography. Uh, really mate, here's another tip for you, uh, that properties with videos online will get something like six or seven times more views than those, those without. So, yeah. you know, and, and there's technology around now. If you get really good photography taken, you can turn that into a video and, and, and they look very attractive, but you can do it for a very low price. Yeah, yeah. I might get some details on you off air on on those video services and for those. You want me to tell you now? Yeah, well, let's do that. Yeah, if you're happy to, that'd be awesome. I'll quickly pull it up on on here. This is a great website. I've been using it for a lot of our shows, mate. It's called Just Click Videos. Yeah. Just Click Videos. Dot com, I think it is, or dot com. Dot I'll just have it. I'll just quickly bring it up now. Yeah, sure. Just click videos. Dot com. Go and check it out because uh, they've got an offer on right now, uh, where you can go in. Um, you know, get your agent to go in with your photographs. Once they go up on the internet, it'll generate a video for you. We use it in our auction update show every Monday. Brilliant. Uh, and it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, awesome, mate. Look, uh, always love talking to you, Kevin. You're very generous with your time. Uh, in, in summary, any any final comments on what you see happening in the the year ahead? Ah, uh, no, good times, mate. Good times. Yeah. So that's, yes, they that's are. Probably, they? That's probably all I can say. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not doom and gloom by any stretch. I think, uh, you know, those who want to get in their properties, just fabulous. I just love it, and you know, live it and breathe it, and uh, you know, it's it's been fantastic for Caroline and I. Yeah, and I don't think there's ever been a better time, mate. If I look at the way the planets are now aligning with uh, interest rates, you sound like a real estate agent, mate. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, dear me, yeah. No, I, I, I've been a, a very close follower of, of property for not as not quite as long as you, but pretty close to it, Kevin. And uh, gee whiz, this is we're in a, a nice little sweet spot at the moment. So uh, keeps us young, mate. Keeps us young. It does, mate. Uh, always love talking to you. Uh, really appreciate you uh, taking some time. To, to share your insights and uh, if you're open to it pretty keen to keep you coming back on a regular basis to do exactly the thanks, same thanks Bushy good on good you good talking to you mate Thank thanks you. mate bye for now well freedom fighters how good was that to get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au that's h-e-l-l-o at khgroup.com.au or check us out at www bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast so thanks for listening and as always dream as if you live forever and live as if you'll die 